Welcome, everybody, to Holy Conundrums Podcast. My guest today is Mary Beth Bonacci, who is a dear friend of mine. We used to work together in ministry. She is a veteran in the Catholic world and speaking and author. She sold over 100,000 copies of her famous book, Real Love, through Ignatius Press. Mary Beth, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. This is fun. I mean, we've been shooting the breeze before I hit record, but ultimately, we're going to talk about The Single Life, which... When I emailed you and said, hey, what do you want to talk about? You said you could do this in your sleep. So Yeah, yeah, um, and I, I may be. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself, like your, your audience. Where do you have credibility of talking about vocation and, and love and et cetera? I started speaking on dating relationships and chastity when I was in my early 20s and did that for a lot of years. Full-time, traveled around the world, wrote a couple books, created some audio or video content. What do we call that anymore? I was going to say a video series, but that makes me sound super dated. It's like something you stream before streaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on, on VHS tapes. Like one yes, of those yes. Things. You yeah. stuck it in a box on top of your TV. I started out speaking to teenagers, and then as I got older, I started speaking more to adults. That whole time, I remained a single person, and so that kind of started to transition into speaking to other single people, because once you get to the point where you're single past the age people expect you to be single, or past the age where everybody else is single, then A, it suddenly becomes interesting, and B, you suddenly discover that there are a lot of other people in the same boat and that they have kind of unique needs that the church hasn't been meeting. So I've been speaking to singles and on singles topics for a very long time. I've contributed to the blog at Catholic Match for about 20 years now. I've been speaking at the National Catholic Singles Conferences. I keynoted the first Australian National Catholic Singer. They wasn't called the National. I believe it was called the Australian Catholic Singles Conference. And I've been speaking here at the National Catholic Singles Conferences in the States since 2005. So, yeah, again, I do it in my sleep. <laughs> Still looking for Mr. Wright, too, so if he's out sure. there listening. That's right. Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room then. Like, because I know that this is a subject matter that it's like, I do not have credibility on. I married my high school sweetheart. So whenever I talk to or do like a, a session or a conversation on vocations, I inevitably get the question of basically, where's my husband or even where's my wife? It does seem like it comes more from the female side, but there are plenty of guys I've met who are saying, I'm still looking for the one. So what do you say to someone who's, who says, like, I'm looking, I'm looking, I can't find the person, even though I'm trying to be faithful to God, I'm, I'm being chased, I, I'm praying, I'm doing all the right things. Like, where, where can I find this, my vocation? What do you say to those who are waiting? I mean, the first thing I say is I'm really sorry, because I get it, I feel you, in the same boat. I always laugh, there's always this sense of, well, I, you know, where do I go, where do I go? And people always told me, you need to be out there, you need to be out there. And I'd always want to know, where's there? Like, is, is there a ranch somewhere I don't know about? Like, like where, <laughs> where is this there that I'm supposed to go? Because I'll go there. <laughs> they're, they're generally asking two questions. One is kind of, you know, what do I do? And, I mean, the answer, as simple as it is, is wherever there is, get out there. I think Dr. Phil always had this line about single people and said, you know, Mr. Wright's not going to stop by the sofa and say hi. (laughs) So be out in the world. We live in this world where we actually have opportunities to meet online through Catholic matches, a wonderful conduit or whatever. Be at church, be out volunteering, be doing whatever. And 
I can't, but the second question, and this is where it gets interesting, that's embedded in that question is, why has God let me down? Not only where is my spouse, but where is God in this? Because I've been told that people keep saying, oh, honey, God's got somebody for you. God's got somebody for you. And we hear these stories about, well, I was at church and I was praying, St. Anne, St. Anne, find me a man. And the sun came through the stained glass windows and there he was. Oh, <laughs> and I pray and pray and pray and nothing happens. So where's God? And the thing is, this is in scripture nowhere that God promises you a spouse. People who say God's got somebody for you. That's very nice of them. They're, they're being nice to you. This is not guaranteed. There are lots of guarantees in scripture, but a spouse is not among them. So it's kind of a balancing act between, sure, remaining open, but also not putting your whole life on hold to start when you find this spouse that God's theoretically delivering to you. Because he put us here to to follow him and to follow his will now, not push the big pause button until we get what we think we deserve or want or have coming to us, and then we'll start living. Which is a very long answer to your question. No, 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 not at all. I mean, it brought to mind, I get the question. It's a hard thing to say on the, on the other end of it where it's like, yeah, I'm married, but it is always a grass is greener on the other side. Like there is oh, sure. marriage in and of itself is a cross and, and it has its challenges. And, and I could write a whole book on that as well. But there is, a, I think, a temptation whether – I've had this conversation with priests. Like something hasn't lived up to their expectation and it's very easy to look at if I had that, I would be happier. And my conversation tends to go to the line of like, is God enough? Like, it, let's say the thing you're hoping for never comes. Can you live a life where God is enough? I mean, does that make sense? Where it's, it, it, it seems like a very unsatisfactory answer. But I find that I just had spiritual direction the other day, and my spiritual director said to me a great line, which I feel like spiritual directors have great one-liners. Like there's a book out there somewhere that they just <laughs> have, have their one-liners. Like, well, probably the like the book of Proverbs. Of spiritual directors. Yeah, it's like the book of Proverbs. But she said, yeah. uh, she said, revelation follows surrender. So when I'm not getting the response that I'm wanting, that I need to first surrender. I'm so write I, that I mean, down. That's fabulous. It isn't that good. I've got a yes. good spiritual director. Because for me, it was it was around job stuff. I was like, Lord, just tell me where to go. Tell me where to go. When I got in adoration the other day, it was like yesterday. He said, Well, if I told you where to go, would you trust me? And I said, Probably not. <laughs> like, like there's, he's like, so why would I tell you where to go? <laughs> like, <laughs> what difference would it make? You know, he's like, you need to surrender first. Then I'll give you the answer to your question, you know? And I was like, oh God, you know, it's never, it's never a, a line from point A to point B. There's always this journey with it, you know? Truly. What does it look like when you say to a person, hey, focus on your relationship with Christ? Or is that even like a conversation that you have, have with people who are? Oh yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, a lot of times they don't want to hear it because face it, this is very difficult. This isn't like, you know, you might not get a Mercedes or you might not get, this is for a woman, especially I might not have children is devastating. I mean, if if you feel called to be a mother and you're, it's not an easy thing. So yeah, it's hard to just be, Oh, Jesus is enough. Oh, it's okay. But Really, that is what it boils down to. And it's it's trusting in something very, very scary. And But childlessness is not the end of the world either. But it feels like it. Especially because we have this little clock in us that's going tick, tick, 
tick, tick, tick, tick, tick, tick, tick, tick, tick, tick, tick. But I always tell them, you need to center your life around Christ. Don't center your life around the search for a spouse. I mean, and who knows? Centering your life around Christ may actually lead you to a spouse. And one of my very favorite stories is that the pro-life activist of the 1980s, Joan Andrews Bell, or who was Joan Andrews at the time, she would travel all around the world and protest in front of abortion clinics by herself. She would chain herself to doors. I mean, she was radical. And I would look at her and think, okay, Joni's not looking for a husband. Guys aren't walking down the sidewalk saying, hey, who's that girl that's chained to that <laughs> chained abortion clinic? Wow. Man, wife material her. right there. Yeah. Yes. So she went down Florida and went into a clinic and chained herself to a piece of equipment. So she got arrested. And whoever was the governor at the time decided to throw the book at her. So, I mean, it was a long, she was in, she was in jail. She wasn't cooperating. She was practicing this passive non-cooperation, identifying with the, the wordless unborn child or something like that. I don't remember exactly. But anyway, she wasn't cooperating. So they put her in solitary confinement. She's in solitary. And the, the Catholic press is paying some attention to this thing because she's kind of a hero. And so this nice man reads this and says, oh, my gosh, this brave woman. That's amazing. She's in solitary confinement, standing up for the unborn. I'm going to go visit her. (laughs) And they fell in love and got married. She met her husband in solitary. (laughs) (laughs) So I just say, obviously, be open, be out there, have your antenna up, but Don't build your life around it. Build your life around Christ and what's his will for you right now. Because in the end, what's going to matter when you're facing him on judgment day, it's not going to be, did you get married? Did you have 2.7 children or whatever? It's going to be, did you follow me? Did you do my will? So, yeah, that's, it's just, that's got to be, if you try to make looking for someone the center of your life, first of all, it's going to be counterproductive because it, it really makes you less attractive. There's a desperation to it. If, if finding someone to marry is the center of your life, then you're going to become increasingly desperate that the center of your life is not holding, is not filled, is not there. And, and desperate's not pretty. And second, you're missing out on what God may have for you in the moment. I know for me, like in the discernment of my vocation, which I I always make the distinction, like an apostolate is something God's called you to do. And a vocation is a discernment of who God created you to be. And I was dating my future wife. I mentioned we met very young and I was also simultaneously discerning the priesthood. And in fact, I would have entered seminary had we not been dating. And there was a moment where I was planning, she almost became a, a seminary widow I almost broke up with her to go into the priesthood, and I literally made the decision. And at first, when when I felt this call to the priesthood, I fought against it. I was like, no, I don't, no. Like, I just met this beautiful girl, Lord, no, there's no way I'm doing that. And it was over the course of a year, and eventually, like, my prayer life was just this battle. And eventually, I heard the Lord say to me, he's like, why are you so worried? Like, you're 18. Just (laughs) focus on what I'm calling you to do today. 
He says, and then tomorrow, focus on what I'm calling you to do that day. He's like, and if you keep following me, you'll eventually follow me right into your vocation. And I was like, oh, okay. And that gave me some peace. And eventually I was like, I got to the point where it felt like the priesthood was really what I desired most. And I was ready to break up with, with uh, Katrina, my, my now wife. And I presented it to the Lord and I said, okay, you have one hour to change my mind. Like I'm going, I'm breaking up with my girlfriend. I'm going into seminary. And I, I was, I gave him an hour. Yeah. I gave him an hour because this is the decision. This is what I think I'm called to, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to change my mind. I was going to RCIA at my college campus because I was somebody's sponsor. And what I didn't know is the topic that night was the sacrament of holy matrimony. And the the campus minister who was giving the talk just gave witness to his own marriage and like how he lived poverty, chastity, and obedience in his own marriage and like how he served his wife like Christ loved the church, which I was not familiar with Ephesians at that point. And, and like by the end of it, I was just like, that's what I'm called to. Like that's who I'm, I was so inspired by it. I was like, that's exactly who I'm called. And from that day forward, never felt a call to the priesthood. And then I called up my girlfriend. I was like, hey, I'm, I was going to break up with you, which was not a good way to start a conversation. <laughs> So, um, but there's just keep inside, right? Right, exactly. But I feel like I want to talk about singleness as a vocation because I know when we worked together, I remember distinctly, and this is years and years and years ago, that you ended up in a conversation with one of our priests at the parish we worked at, and you were saying, like, no, singleness can be and is a vocation. And I think he was arguing against you on that. I believe it too. Like singleness can be a vocation, but it, sometimes it feels like it's the default vocation. Like it's the vocation for those who didn't get their vocation. Like, it, and it's not that. Like, how would you explain singleness as a vocation, and how do you discern that? The way I've always explained it is, and then this is my own. This is not the church. Well, part of it is the church. There's small V vocation and there's capital V vocation. And capital V vocation is what the church has always considered. Vocation, capital V vocation is making irrevocable gift of your life to something, either traditionally either to marriage or to God in the religious life. So in marriage, you make an irrevocable gift to yourself, to your spouse, in, you know, till death do us part. In religious life, in the priesthood, in religious life, and, and in consecrated celibacy, you make an irrevocable gift of yourself to God, forsaking marriage. So a priest does that, and a single person can do that. A single person can say, look, I'm a consecrated single person. I'm giving myself irrevocably to God and to his service. So for a woman, a consecrated laywoman, Jesus is her spouse. That's a capital V vocation. The single life is not, the the unconsecrated single life is not a capital V vocation. It's it's giving yourself to nothing. It's, it's... (laughs) There is no irrevocable gift of self. All your options are still open. You could still give yourself to God. You could not give yourself to God. Then I talk about small v vocation, which is the vocation to holiness, which may incorporate mission, what you're called to do. So I've actually gotten into some arguments with people who have said, well, no, that the unconsecrated single life is a vocation. Well, not in, in the strict, in the sense that the church sees it. It's not because you're, you haven't given yourself anything. Your your options are all still open. And you wind up in a funny situation, funny haha, funny strange, when you've been there for so long that you start to say, well, should I just consecrate? Should I? You know, I haven't found anybody to marry, so is Jesus my, my plan B? Like, is, 
because Jesus, my, I didn't find anybody else. So, so I guess I'll marry you, Jesus. But I mean, it is one of the crosses of the single life is that it's, you don't have that sense of, I have irrevocably given myself to something. And it doesn't change your ability to live a life of self-gift. And I think singles, more than anyone, have this, I mean, really a need. Because they don't have this built-in self-gift. I mean, when you're a parent, you're a spouse, you give yourself to your spouse. That's what you wake up. You wake up in the morning, what am I called to do? I'm called to give myself to my spouse and my kid. You're religious, what am I called to do? I'm called to live my religious vocation. We're single, and it's like, well, okay, I, I really do. Vatican II said that man is the only creature created for his own sake and finds himself only in a sincere gift of himself. So single people who are following God are looking for ways to give themselves because that's what we're made for, and there's no formal vocation context to, to do it in. I like how you framed, I mean, you spoke to, you're like, that's one of the crosses of the single life. And I was like, oh, cross, I can identify with that. Because I, I distinctly remember, I mean, I just told the story of when I walked out of that campus ministry office after RCIA, it was like, I, it was almost like I was having this vision, which it wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't like there was an apparition after I left. Wouldn't that make life easy? There was an apparition from <laughs> from God and he was like, go do this, you know? But no, it was like I had this this like, image in my mind of like two paths, like one towards the priesthood, one towards dating this, this girl who became my wife. And he's like, look, you can go down either path. The crossover here on marriage is bigger for you. And boy, has it been. Um, and, and he's like, that's where you're going to learn how to love is carrying that cross. And that's, what's going to make you holy. So I guess, I mean, my question to you is like any path of vocation you're going to come across the cross yep. and the nature of the cross. Uh, I remember father Michael Scanlon saying, he's like, don't, he always had that raspy voice. You know, uh, he was like, don't pray for suffering because the, we were on a college campus with a bunch of people who radically wanted to be holy <laughs> and they would read the lives of the saints and how they suffered. And so then people would stupidly ask Jesus for suffering, which he was all too happy to oblige. Uh, and, and he was like, no, the nature of suffering is that it's unexpected that the cross is not what you expected it to be. The cross will find you. You don't need to ask for it. I was like, so in what ways has, has being single perhaps brought you closer to Christ in your life? Like what lessons have you, have you learned that have been invaluable to your life? It is a constant need to trust him, which is probably true in every vocation, but I get it in my own that, okay, Lord, I had planned my future out this way and it's not happening this way. And where do I turn? I mean, I could turn to a lot of things, but I, I know I need to turn to you. I used to, a lot of times on weekend evenings and like on a Saturday night, if I didn't have anything else to do, I'd go to the Blessed Sacrament and I'd go to Blessed Sacrament Chapel and I'd plop down and I'd say, date night, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> there really is a sense of needing to turn to God where you would normally turn to a spouse because there's, there's not a spouse there and you have friends, but it's not the same. So I know like my mother died last year and I would kind of feel sorry for myself that I didn't have a spouse to turn to, to help me through it. But I spent a lot of time in front of the blessed sacrament and there was, there was great consolation and he brought me great consolations, but I don't know that I would turn to him in these same ways. If I had a human person to turn to, of course, of course, when you're single, 
if only I had a spouse because they would always wipe my tears away and I'd never have a bad day. <laughs> yeah, as a married person, I'll tell you, it doesn't work like that. Typically. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you come yeah, home, you're, you're upset and your spouse is like, the kid's puked on me all day. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not, I don't have the emotional capacity to comfort you right now. You yes, know? you're single and you, you feel like you have this, you know, if only there, this person would just be all about me and comforting me. Yeah. <laughs> which is true until the kids come along. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, which, you know, happens happens in the Catholic world. So not just in the Catholic world, it happens all over the place. Yeah, kids come along. All, yeah, kids come along, yeah. Yeah, unexpectedly, many times. Let's say you're a 30-year-old young man or young woman or older that's listening to this. And we've always said, like, go go out there and meet people. You have to get out of your house. You have to get out of your apartment. You have to get out and, and meet people. What's the advice that you might give to someone who says, like, I, I still can't meet anyone or I'm not finding the right people? I mean, my advice to everyone who's not married is work on your, like, look at yourself too and be real honest. Because the question that single people hate and the longer you're single, the more you hate it is, why aren't you married? To be constant. What, why aren't you married? And the question behind it is, what's the matter with you? Like, is there, is there, there's clearly some kind of hidden flaw. And I feel like that's, that might be even a temptation to, to look at yourself and say, what's wrong with me? Yeah. When, yeah. Like, how do you ask that question in a healthy way? Because, I mean, that, that question can also put you in therapy. Exactly. And maybe it should. But, because there's all kinds of reason. Because here we are, all these nice Catholic people trying to find each other. And it's not easy. I mean, it used to be, in my parents' generation, you met somebody, there's about a 95% chance that they share your, your primary core values. And if you meet somebody in the Catholic Church, there's about a 95% chance that they share your core Catholic values. And now that's not the case. And so if you're someone who wants to share your life with someone who shares your values, it's really hard to find that person. And then on top of that, you actually have to like them. I mean, I can't tell. Priests love this. Well, why aren't you married? Why don't you marry him? He's single. (laughs) What with that being my only criterion and all? You're right. So, I mean, there's plenty of, it's difficult in this world. It's difficult to find the right person. And there's this, when somebody asks and they're not the right person, there's this kind of temptation to say, yeah, no, sorry, I don't want to marry you, but could you please sign this affidavit that you asked? Like, so I can prove that, look. I think that brings up a good point, though, too. Like, when... When is settling part of the conversation? Like, is settling a good thing? Because you know, I know so often we say don't settle for it. And I, I can't tell you, like, there are relatives that I have that have been dating such and such a person for, you know, however many years. And it's like they're waiting for a ring. And the guy, the guy, everybody in the family is like, dump the guy. You would have all kinds of suitors if, like, at what point is 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 settling something that we should say, like, hey, don't do this? or Or do you start having the conversation of, of, um, hey, maybe your standards are too high. I, I mean, where where's the line on that? You have to start talking about what you're settling for because clearly you'll get people who will settle for something that's going to be a disaster. Like you're settling for someone who doesn't treat you well. You're settling for someone who doesn't share your values. You're settling for someone who's irresponsible. You're settling for someone with with bad tendencies, with addictive tendencies, 
that's all bad. But yeah, I mean, there is a time, I think, to say, okay, what do I contribute to this equation? Like, have I been, am I holding out for something that doesn't exist? Is there something in my past that makes me afraid of marriage? So I'm looking for something so perfect that I'll never find it. So it keeps me from actually having to commit to the messiness of day-to-day marriage. Am I looking for, do I have standards around looks or money or something that's keeping me from people who would be really good, lovely, perfectly wonderful spouses and I can build a happy marriage with? In previous generations, it was much more practical. It was much more, you're a good man, you'd be a good, you're a good provider, you'd be a good father, I can learn to love you. And nobody wants to go all the way back to that. But we're kind of on the other side where we have to be madly head over heels in love and also have to be all of these good things. And sometimes what we're attracted to and what is best is not like, you know, it doesn't always mesh. Like you're attracted to someone because they remind you of your long lost uncle, but it's not. So in that sense, there is something to be said for, okay, let's look at why I don't want to take, there are a lot of good people out there here and I don't want to take them seriously. And maybe the traits that don't excite me right now, because I'm not fully mature or whatever, might also be the traits that would make this person a wonderful spouse that I could build a wonderful life with. Settling is an interesting topic to talk about when we talk about the virtue of chastity. We know that like Christ calls us to the virtue of chastity. I know many of people who are trying to live the virtue of chastity and they wonder, is waiting to have sex until I have made a lifelong commitment of love, is that costing me prospects? Meaning that they're asking, should I settle in this area because I'm not finding the guy or girl that I'm looking for? And it's probably because every time I mention, hey, I'm saving sex to marriage, the person says, see you later. There's a lot, there's a lot of other girls or a lot of other guys out there that are perfectly happy to jump in the sack. I'm not going to sit around and wait for you. And then they start to question, well, I've been dumped several times because of this. Um, what, so what advice do you give to people when they're like, is, is chastity the reason why I'm not married? And maybe it is. And for a lot of people, it probably is. But what we have to understand is means and ends. And chastity is not a means to marriage that we discard if it's not working. Chastity is not a tool to find a spouse. Chastity is living the way God called us to live. And if, if living that way, if living the way God calls us to live is going to cost us marriage, it's going to cost us marriage. And that's a martyrdom we're going to have to live. But compromising that to marry is, is completely confusing means and ends. It's I'm going to I'm going to compromise the ultimate end of my life, which is living the way God wants me to do with good reason. (laughs) I'm going to compromise the the way of real love and I'm going to disobey God and do great disrespect to my own body and to this other person's body so that I can marry someone who would expect me to do great disrespect to my own body, who doesn't respect my values enough to even allow me to live them. So yeah, and and be real. There's a martyrdom to that, that, that maybe I'm living. I think probably a lot of other people are living. Sure. Would have had a whole lot more prospects if I was willing to, to settle in that regard. I know I've said to, to people 
you know, I've got a book out on helping men to overcome porn issues. So occasionally I'll get the conversation and the random people asking like, hey, I can't get over this. My first response to them is usually, well, why are you trying? And like, because I'm asking them basically find your reason. Uh, and I know one guy I talked to recently said, well, I, I, I want to stop because it's a mortal sin, et cetera. I was like, quit quoting the catechism to me. You know, I was like, what's your actual... What's your actual reason? Nobody's been inspired. The Catechism is is a great book. It's also very dry. Like, it's not an inspirational text. You know, I lived the virtue of chastity with my wife because I felt that love required it. Um, that because I loved her, I was not going to put her in a situation where she'd be worried about, you know, am I pregnant? Or is this guy the one? Like, I'm not going to, I'll make that commitment to you, a free, total, faith, fruitful, when I've made that commitment to you. Like, love required it. It's a, to me, it's counterintuitive to say, like, well, I'm going to find love by giving up the thing that is a communication of love, you know? Exactly. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but. Like you asked, it comes down to the question, why do I want to get married? Well, because I want love, I want to have somebody with me. But no, really, why do you want the Christian vocation of marriage? Well, I want to give myself to someone in love who is going to give themselves to me in love. And through that, through the power of the Holy Spirit, perhaps God will bless us with children. It's a self-donation in love. And if you're going to compromise that and give yourself to someone who doesn't respect that, doesn't understand that, why do you do it? Why are you doing it? It just it doesn't add up. But, it's, but there's a great fear behind it because I'm not going to lie. There's a martyrdom to not being able to fulfill that desire to give yourself to another person. And, I mean, you know, hope springs eternal. It's not that you know, if it hasn't happened by the time you're 30, it's never going to happen or 40 or 50 or whatever. But, again, it comes down to the source of our truest fulfillment and our truest happiness is not in any of these external circumstances. It's in God, and it's in our relationship with God and his in following his plan for our lives. And I, Along these lines, I used to speak at the Courage Conference every year, which is the conference for Catholics who struggle with same-sex attraction. And I was talking to them because I was very intrigued by, I mean, what their experience must be of, like everyone else, you know, they want to have kids, they want to live that kind of life, and but something, for some reason, they don't. And I said, you know, how does this feel for you? One of them just said to me, God's very generous with his plan B. And he, he knew, he knew from the beginning of time, whatever has happened in your life, whatever was going to happen in your life, he knew it was going to happen. And he's planned, he's made his plan accordingly. And it, it accounts for all of our stupidity and all our mistakes and everything. He's, he's got a plan. And I think, you know, in my talks, I used to talk about, you know, plan A, I think, is is a capital V vocation for everybody. It's either marriage or religious life. But stuff happens and stuff goes wrong. And he's, he's there in it. And he's got a plan. And all things work for good for those who follow him and walk according to his ways. All things. All things. Including whatever pain comes to us from especially living the way he calls us to live. Yeah, I think that's a great place to land because at the end of the day, any vocation, it's the universal call to holiness. So any vocation, the end road is to lead to Christ. And so his his end goal is not, my, my goal is for you to be married and have a spouse and be happy. You know, his end goal is for, for your path, which is never going to be what you expect it to be, to land on him. 
at the end of at the end of the day, regardless of what that path looked like. And I don't think I've ever spoken with anybody who said like their life ended up the way they thought it would end up like, you know, you know, like it went exactly according to the way I thought it would go. Yes, No, no, it never, it never does. But it's like, no, his unique path for you will bring forth with it all kinds of trials. And if your plan for happiness is when I have this thing that I don't have, I will be happy. That's not a recipe for happiness. You know, the recipe for happiness is follow his path. It will lead you on a journey that you didn't expect to take and ultimately will land on him and that happiness will be fulfilled. So I don't know. I think that's a a good place to land. I think Um, so too. We did good. Yeah. Well, thanks Mary Beth for the conversation. Where can people contact you? Uh, if, If somebody wants to ask you to come speak or somebody wants to learn more about your book or if there's a suitor out there that's like, oh my gosh, I want to marry Mary Beth. Like, where should they find you? Talk to my committee. (laughs) (laughs) Reallove.net. www.reallove.net. Thank you again, Mary Beth, for, for joining me today. Thank you, Everett, so much.